Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan, and this is a carefully crafted devotional journey through the New Testament. Let's venture into deeper water as we consider what it means to follow Jesus in the world we live in now. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. In recent episodes, we have been looking at some key ways that Jesus interacts with the ancient law of Moses in the Sermon on the Mount. We've looked at keeping anger at bay because we enter murderous territory if we don't, according to Jesus. We've looked at keeping lust at bay because we enter adulterous space if we don't. And we have also looked at the very simple idea of being a person of your word. Our yes is to mean just that, yes. Our no is to mean no. And in the passage I'm about to read out, it will soon become clear that a vow like I do means just that also. I do. Let me read to you now from Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 32. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, with the prevalence of divorce in modern society, this discussion has become a real hot potato issue in the modern church, and it has caused some ministers to wonder if we're even able to speak into this institution anymore. But as we consider the ancient past, we find that this really isn't a new problem. It was as much a hot topic in ancient Israel and the world around them then, as it is in society, and if we're honest, the church, today. In ancient Greco-Roman society, divorce was a little bit too easy. There was no formality required, no court system to make it all official. A written or even oral notification was all that was needed to make it happen. As you might imagine, divorce under that system was quite widespread. There was even a first century poet who wrote of women who had been divorced as many as 10 times, and this was no source of real shame in any way. Taking that into account, The ancient Jews had a pretty tight standard on marriage by comparison. Both the Old Testament and the rabbis placed great emphasis on the bond of marriage. But it wasn't without its issues or its scandals either. In this teaching, Jesus opens by the same phrase as other times. It has been said. He's looking once again at how the law was interpreted and how he might once again speak more authoritatively into it. The apparent permission Jesus refers to here comes from a glancing read of Deuteronomy chapter 24, which suggests that if a man finds something indecent or displeasing in his wife, he could write a certificate of divorce and let her go. The theologian N.T. Wright helpfully points out that divorce was essentially permission to remarry, that the woman could go and be cared for by another man if he would have her. The definition of something indecent was often the subject of legalistic debate. After all, adultery could be dealt with quite easily. That was a capital crime in Mosaic law. So this idea of indecency had to be something less than a capital offense, but still big enough to be a deal-breaker. And the interpretive results were quite interesting. Now, it might be helpful to know some key Jewish history at this time. From Moses to the days of Christ, there had been a stream of Jewish scholars in place dedicated to keeping the traditions and the law alive in their nation. This began with those great leaders, Moses and Joshua. This continued through the prophets, as well as a group called the Men of the Great Assembly. 
In 273 BC, this then shifted into a system where a constant stream of rabbis in pairs would lead the nation in this way. In the days of Jesus, the Pharisees and other Jewish leaders were being guided by the last of this string of pairs, and perhaps the most famous duo too. The two key men who were shaping Jewish thought at that particular time were the rabbis Shammai and Hillel. These men were deeply revered by their communities, and they held each other in great esteem and respect, despite their disagreements on a number of key things. One big disagreement involved marriage and this vague definition of something indecent. Shammai tended to hold a bit of a hard line, and he taught that such indecency would be something awfully close to adultery and little else. But Rabbi Hillel swung to the other extreme and taught that indecency was wide-ranging. It could be as easy as burning the toast or a man simply losing interest. A scriptural case study indicates that Hillel was probably speaking to the existing Jewish worldview. For example, Malachi chapter 2 shows a people doing what was detestable in the eyes of God. They were breaking the covenant of marriage where men were divorcing the wives of their youth and trading them in for younger and more exotic idolatrous models. History tells us that Hillel's gentle and moderate outlook won the debate most of the time. We're told this by the Jewish historian Josephus, and it appears the Pharisees certainly gravitated to his liberal interpretations of the law. But spiritually, this outlook dulled down the concept of God's relationship with his covenant people. The Lord was often presented in Old Testament scripture as the husband of his people, and therefore the keeper of his vows to them. But sadly, the people of Israel were often presented as the adulterous bride because of their constant rejection of him. This was the state they were in during the first century, and their families and their nation suffered for it as well. A more complete picture of Jesus' teaching on this subject is found a little later in Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 to 9. Let me read that to you now. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Here's the question to test Jesus. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any reason? In other words, which rabbi do you side with, Jesus, strict Shammai or liberal Hillel? Well, Jesus' answer trumps them both. He goes on to make some simple points about his take on marriage, and this would challenge some of the religious thinking of his day. His first point is this, you scribes and Pharisees are anticipating the need to escape from your marriages. You're looking for the permission to break the sacred vow you made. Now, that can be true today as well. We can get the prenup signed and we can have all the finer details of a breakup worked out well before anything even gets started. But Jesus says, instead, I'm all about preserving the institution because it demonstrates the kingdom of a covenant-keeping God. 
In God's eyes, you become one. So live like that's the case and use every moral means necessary to preserve it. His other point is this. You are making what Moses said a command rather than a concession. Jesus teaches that this was Moses recognizing the hardness of the Hebrews' hearts. It was not a reflection of God's intentions for the marriage union. Essentially, Moses was permitting an act for the sake of avoiding an even greater evil that might come about. If you had to keep your wife and you resented that, this could end up in a potentially abusive situation. But it was a concession. It wasn't God's instruction. So in case anyone is unclear, Jesus expects us to preserve our marriages. And using every other principle of the Sermon on the Mount, do what it takes to stick it out. And particularly take note of the things spoken directly around this issue. Adultery stays at bay when we deal with the much earlier problem of lust. All vows spoken are to be treated as being spoken before God. If we treat vows with the respect they deserve and we keep our eyes set in the right direction with our heart kept pure, we'll find our marriages have a really good shot of remaining solid and safe. Remember, kingdom people have power and resources the world around us does not have, and these help us even keep our marriages together. That power actually comes from the architect of the marriage covenant. However, there are times, despite all that, where even Jesus sees a point where it might not work out. The one and only real reason to tap out of marriage in Jesus' view is summed up in our passage with the word adultery. For many marriages, this is the ultimate deal breaker, right? Well, even Jesus thought so. Now, as I gave that some thought, I came to one very big realization. You see, I've been around the church since 1987, and I've been a minister for 20 years, and I can count on one hand the number of marriages in the church which ended after an adulterous incident took place. And it was never after the first time. Now, don't get me wrong, I have seen many more Christian marriages dissolve, but it is surprisingly very rare for it to be on account of this issue. In fact, I've been amazed at how believing couples actually bounce back from this. I know from these observances that change and reconciliation can come out of such a dark thing. The kingdom of God is also a place of healing and reconciliation. And when two frail kingdom people give that a shot, there can be some profound beauty in that. Sadly, I've seen some marriages end simply because they gave up trying or found themselves in a place where they were no longer in love and had no desire to rekindle that spark. And I believe that flies in the face of Jesus' idea for what marriage is to be. And I pray you find that spark once again, if that's you listening to this right now. But the other equally heartbreaking breakups have been those that have had issues of abuse in the home. I've seen a number of women in particular leave an abusive setting, but still feel riddled with guilt over their actions. To you, I see hope and freedom on offer from Jesus here. And I need to get a little bit nerdy here to make my point. In the original Greek version of this passage, two key words are used even though the same English appears to us. The usual word for adultery is moikaio, and this speaks specifically to the extramarital bedroom antics of a person. Moikaio is used to speak of the state of the remarried person in these verses. But when Jesus states the only valid reason for divorce... He uses the word porneo. This has links to certain words today which some of us may be able to work out. 
This word encompasses all types of sexual sins and distortions. And I believe this also includes all distortions of intimacy as well. One theologian named R.V. Tasker concludes that the word porneia is a comprehensive word, including adultery and other forms of sexual immorality, but also includes unnatural vice. In my years of ministry, I have concluded that spousal abuse is every bit the distortion of intimacy that cheating on your spouse is. So if you've been a victim in the past, it is my conviction that Jesus stands with you in those experiences and the decisions you have had to make. So I pray you might even find some freedom as you listen to this now. That said, the evidence suggests that for those in faith communities, marriages actually flourish compared to the world around them. A recent piece of research found this. Catholic couples are 31% less likely to divorce. Protestant couples are 35% less likely to divorce compared to the world around them. And modern Jews are 97% less likely to divorce. Perhaps they took Jesus at his word more than they realize. So with that good news behind us, consider the points Jesus makes about marriage and all this. Marriage is sacred and must not be taken lightly. It is one major way we can demonstrate the kingdom of God. From Matthew 19, I am convinced that God created marriage between man and woman, and once joined, they should not be divided, for the two become one. And divorce really must be the last resort of any marriage arrangement. The way I see it, we really only get one good shot at this. If you are listening and perhaps sitting in your second or third marriage, I have some advice for you as well. Make the best effort you can in making what you have now work for God's glory. Learn from your past marriages and what might have gone wrong. Do more to make Jesus the center of your current relationship. Take note of all those other things Jesus has already said around this topic. If you're getting angry, remember that abuse is lurking in the heart. If you're finding yourself glancing a little too long at others in person or online, adultery is waiting in the heart. When those early signs appear, that's the time to act. Make time to see somebody for help if you need to. A professional such as a counsellor can be a great place to go. And a local church pastor can also be a really helpful resource as well. And if you're single, don't answer marriage lightly. It's a massive deal in heaven, and the church needs to show it's a massive deal on earth too. So resolve to make your singleness be honourable and your future marriage work and let the world see the kingdom through the way we live both of those things out. I'm going to conclude this episode with a special prayer just for you. Jesus, I acknowledge the immense gravity of how you have spoken into marriage through these few verses. It is abundantly clear you hold the marriage union in such high esteem. So I pray for those listening right now as they consider this subject. I pray those who are married will be diligent with their vows and their resolve to remain together. I pray that you would always be the center of their marriage. I pray you would protect their hearts and their unions and help them all to heed the early signs of weakness should they appear. I pray that anger and lust will be dealt with the moment it is noticed. I pray for those who have needed to walk away from their marriages, particularly those who have gone through an abusive time in that. I pray for healing and peace in their hearts and that they would know your freedom at this time. And I pray for those who are single, that they would do all they need to do to be ready for their future marriages if that is what they desire. 
and that they would enter that chapter of life in patience, not haste. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. To stay in touch, like our Devotions in the Deep End Facebook page and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I look forward to catching up next time.